We have an Old Testament scripture passage and a New Testament scripture passage. This morning, I invite you to join me in turning in your pew Bibles to page 1445, where we find our Old Testament passage, Micah chapter 5. Reading to verse 6. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she gives who is in labor When she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. When the Assyrian invades our land and marches through our fortresses, we will raise against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword, He will deliver us from the Assyrians when he invades our land and marches into our borders. Turning now to our New Testament scripture reading, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Now, although it might seem strange for this to be the beginning of my sermon series, uh, Advent sermon series, um, I got to say I'm really thankful that Josh was able to... uh, to preach on the Thanksgiving Day service and then the Sunday after when we were all sick and, um, and it was just sort of going through the house. Um, my first sermon was going to be on the birth of Jesus Christ and the prophecy about the virgin giving birth. Um, but in order for us to end on Christmas Day on what I felt was an appropriate passage, I just said, let's, let's push forward. So um, what we're looking at this Christmas season is the... Um, 
is the, uh, the Christmas account in the, the Gospel of Matthew, which is quite different than the account given in Luke. And one of the things that Matthew is focusing on, there's also an, an emphasis of Luke, uh, Luke's Gospel account, is, a, is an emphasis on the fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament. Now, actually, if you wanted to count all of the fulfilled prophecies in the birth narrative of the Gospel of Matthew, it's something like seven or eight. And so we don't actually have enough Advent Sundays to fit them all in, but we're going to do a number of them. And the first one that we're looking at today is the prophecy uh, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Um, now, uh, something that I find interesting about Wikipedia, if you know what Wikipedia is, it's like a, it's an online dictionary, it's an online encyclopedia that people can put entries into and all that kind of stuff. Well, if you go to a number of small towns, they'll have a Wikipedia page on these towns. And one of the interesting things that Wikipedia pages do is they'll put down at the bottom notable people from this town. For instance, if you go to my hometown, Croftonsville, you'll find that there was uh, this notable person who lived in Croftonsville, General Lou Wallace, who went to school at the Liberal Arts College in Crawfordsville. That's a men's-only liberal arts college called Wabash. And then lived there afterwards. And if you don't know who General Lou Wallace is, he is the, the one that wrote Ben-Hur, the story of Ben-Hur. Um, so it's, it's fun to find those kinds of things out. You go to some sort of town or city that you're traveling um, you're going on vacation there, you're spending a week there or a weekend there on a trip, and you find out, wow, this famous baseball player was from this place, the notable people from this town. Well, one of the main things you'll find out about Bethlehem, the little town of Bethlehem, if you go to Bethlehem's Wikipedia page, is that a notable person that, that, that's born in Bethlehem that was born there is, is Jesus Christ. Um, and this is what this story, this portion of the story is telling us about the prophecy in the Old Testament that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And I think this, this section of the birth narrative, this is a section of the birth narrative where the Magi come and they interact with Herod the king and then they go and they find Jesus and they worship him um, is, is important because I think it teaches us um, two things. Um, that we are to praise Christ because he is our king, um, but we are also to praise him because he is our brother. What I mean by that is we're to praise Christ because he is this promised king to come, but also we're, put, we're to praise Christ because of his humble or lowly state. Okay? And I think that's what it's teaching us here. So we've got three points this morning. The first is rival kings, verses 1 through 3, um, set up this rivalry between King Herod and King Jesus. Um, the second point is target acquired, verse 4 through 8, where Herod wants to find out where is this king supposed to be born, and he pulls in the experts, and, and that's when we'll look at Micah chapter 5. Um, and then the last point, um, when the, uh, the Magi finally come to Jesus where he's at in Bethlehem, and they, uh, they worship him as the God child, verse 9 to 12. So let's look at these points together, will you? All right, rival kings, verses 1 through 3. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, there's all kinds of mysteries shrouding these Magi. Even the, the word Magi in, in this time would have uh, elicited a number of different kinds of people, astronomers, um, um, uh, pagan priests, uh, magicians, um, 
people who dabbled in the occult and people who dabbled in alchemy and things like that. And so in, in, in one sense, we've, we've shrouded the Christmas story in so much romanticism that we, we don't really realize sort of the shock value that many people would have um, gathered from hearing this story read that these magi, these pagan, non-Jewish people traveled to Jerusalem to see Jesus, the king. Um, who are these magi? Well, the truth is, there's all kinds of theories about what they are. Um, my favorite one is that uh, Daniel, his time spent in, in Babylon uh, was a, a time of advancement in a number of things, and he had influence on people who were involved in these scientific endeavors, and he uh, taught them about uh, the God, Yahweh, and taught them about some of the messianic promises and, and, and so on and so forth. And a school was built, you could say, in the Babylonian aspect of, of, of the world. And this school studied the stars, searching for a time when Christ the King would come, and uh, these are the representatives, Magi. Um, but, of course, there's all kinds of songs. We Three Kings of Orient... Um, you know, the, the funny fact is, first of all, we don't know if there was just three, but we say it's three because there's three gifts. And so there's probably like a fourth magi, and he is feeling so bad right now because he's left out for all of human history. Just, he's never even there. None of, the, none of the nativity scenes, he's just left out, you know. I mean... But that's what we've done. We've, we've made, we said there's three magi because there's three gifts, right? Um, second of all, whenever you go by this nativity and you see little baby Jesus in, in the barn and he's there in the manger and, and Mary and Joseph are there and, and you see the three um, magi there with the gifts, actually what you have going on is a compaction of storylines. Because the truth of the matter is that Jesus is probably something like two years old when the Magi come to visit in Bethlehem. And verse 1 is meant to give a passing of time. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And so what it seems to be the case is that they stayed there for some time as the child was growing up. And... Um, waited to, to go back to Nazareth. And so these magi follow the star. And this star brings them to Jerusalem, where they find that there's already a king, King Herod. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. You know the statement of the same. There's only room for one sheriff in this town. Well, in the world, you could say that every so-called king realizes that there's only room for one king in this world, in this realm. That everybody really understands and functions in the form of a theocracy. They're on the top. They are the god. And all others are subservient and obedient to them. And we have this king, King Herod, who's being informed by three or four magi or five or six who have traveled many, many, many miles that another king has arrived. 
And Herod, he doesn't like this. He is disturbed. Because these pagans are reserving their worship for the king of the Jews. Meaning, wink, wink, Herod, that's not you. That's not you. And right off the bat, Matthew's narrative has given us this image of rival kings. Luke's gospel uh, narrative, his um, birth narrative, does the same thing on a larger scale. And, and, And it really actually ties into this understanding of being born in Bethlehem. Because you have Luke's story telling us all about how the, the Savior must be born in, in Bethlehem, but that the mother is from Nazareth up in Galilee. And, uh, and so we wonder how exactly is Jesus going to be born in the place prophesied that he should be born. Well, we have another king, the Caesar, Augustus, who wants to flaunt his power. And his might. So what does he do? He creates a census to count all of his subjects. To gloat in all his glory. And to find out how much money he can make from taxes. And in order for this census to be accomplished, everyone must return to their ancestral home. And so what we find is that A so-called supposed king who thinks he's in control and in power is actually being used by God to bring about the very circumstances that show that Christ is the true king. That fulfill prophecy. That he is the king of the Jews. What we will find... So no matter how hard the rival kings of this earth seek to depose Christ's kingdom and his rightful place as ruler of all, they are ultimately unsuccessful. In fact, I am struck by a moment in the Gospel of John when Pontius Pilate is speaking to Jesus. And Pontius Pilate is asking him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus won't answer. And Pontius Pilate says, you know I have authority to kill you. To send you out, to be crucified. And Jesus says, you would not have authority unless it was given to you from above. And the same conversation, this is the one where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus isn't saying that my kingdom does not include this world. He's saying the way that my kingdom grows, the way that my kingdom's reign increases, is not the way that this world operates by force and power and fighting and battling and killing. No. My kingdom grows through the conquest of hearts that are brought peace with God. Christ, before he ascends to the Father, will say to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I think that sounds like like he's the king. 
But here, in this very moment, King Herod doesn't like that there's another king being announced. So what does he do? Target acquired, verse 4 through 8. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem and Judea, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Uh, this is a uh, sort of a paraphrased quotation from Micah, Micah chapter 5. And there in Micah chapter 5, we're told when the uh, people of the promised land are in distress, they're told that they're Um, cities are surrounded by troops, that a siege is laid against them, that one, uh, that eventually their ruler's uh, cheek is going to be struck and they're going to be brought down. God gives this promise that even though you're in the midst of destruction, even though you're in the midst of being defeated and carried away, there is a ruler coming. And so Micah prophesies, but you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Micah says that this promised ruler who would come out of Bethlehem, that his origins are from of old, And the Hebrew behind the word from ancient times are from days of eternity. Which, when you think about it, is kind of ironic. Since eternity doesn't have days. This is not some simple, merely human descendant of David. The emphasis upon Bethlehem is to invoke for the Israelites that since the David's descendant would be the king, the ruler that they are looking for. That they come from Bethlehem just like David, that great king of Israel, came from Bethlehem, from lowly Bethlehem. So in this one statement about a ruler coming from Bethlehem, it invokes that Christ is our king just like David was, but even greater than David. But it also invokes his lowly estate. Bethlehem is not some notable place. It's only notable because of its notable people. David. And his descendant, Christ. And so, praise Christ for, for he is our king. But praise him also for his lowly estate. He is our brother. He has been made like us. Praise Christ because he comes and his announcement is, here is the king of the Jews. Here is the king of kings and the Lord of lords who has authority over everything in heaven and on earth. But also, here is somebody who has a hometown. 
place of birth and origin. He spent the first two years of his life hanging out with family in the streets of Bethlehem, learning how to walk, toddling around. He is our king. But he is like us. He is like us. And so Micah gives this prophecy of this coming king. This coming king is of the line of David because he is from Bethlehem, but this coming king is also from eternity, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And this is why Christ will later say, why does David call the Messiah his Lord if he's just the son of David? No. Christ is the son of David and the son of God. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord is God and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. This is the promise of the coming king of the Jews. This is the promise that Christ is coming to bring. Peace. The end of all battle, the end of all fighting. And so, Herod, his target has been acquired. He calls the Magi secretly to him and he says, where is this star going to appear? And then he sends them to Bethlehem and he says, go and make a careful search for the child and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But we know from just right after this story that Herod's intentions are entirely different. He hears that this king who is going to bring peace and prosperity and the end of all suffering and war. And he wants to snuff them out so he can keep his power, his prominence, his position. But he will not be successful. For God has promised that this king who comes from Bethlehem will shepherd his people. And that this king will bring, will bring his greatness to the ends of the earth. And his, this king will be their peace. So wait. It doesn't look like the end of war and fighting and, uh, and battling has come yet, but it will come. It doesn't look like in a lot of ways there is peace in this world, but there's inner peace. A peace that's beyond all understanding because of Christ. Because he sits on the throne of our hearts. Because he sits at the right hand of God now and he's promised to come again to judge the living and the dead. We have peace because 
as we gather around the table this morning, we are thinking about the day that will come when we'll have that wonderful wedding supper of the Lamb where all of us will be gathered in our white robes, those who believe in Jesus Christ and who have lived and died for his kingdom, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, united under one king, who not only is our Lord and Savior, but as the book of Hebrews says, is not ashamed to call us brother, sister, for we are co-heirs with Christ. And so what did the uh, Magi do? Well, they do what they came to do. They traveled so long, they followed this star. By the way, you can probably watch a, a number of, of documentaries about um, people who study astrology and who found that there was this one star anomaly at the time when Jesus was born, and they sort of, uh, you know, dwindle everything down to scientific facts, which is neat, you know, in one sense. The people do the same thing with uh, um, the splitting of the Red Sea, and they do the same thing with uh, the day where the sun stood still where, where, uh, with, with Joshua. And, and you know what? Um, if you want to sort of dwindle everything down to uh, these uh, scientific anomalies and these realities of things that have happened, you can just describe the whole, uh, t- the, the ten um, plagues in Egypt in this way, that they're sort of these natural things that God just happened to use. But also you need to remember that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word. And so if he wants a star to float all the way to the place where Jesus is, he can do it. It's his world. And he can suspend all natural things for the supernatural. We've got a lot a problem in our day and age against supernaturalism. Everything has to be explained naturally. If you go down that path, eventually you start denying the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch a documentary about the star of Bethlehem or anything like that. All I'm saying is, Maybe God just did it to show who was king. They follow the star. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, by the way, once again, it's a house, not a manger, right? They saw the child with his mother Mary, the child, not the baby, not the infant, And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Mary, I wonder what she thought about this. She was a good, devout Jew. She understood the second commandment. She understood what it it meant to be called to worship God only and to not have any idols. Yet here, she has these pagan, foreign, 
magi coming to the place where they're living in Bethlehem and bowing down and worshiping her two-year-old son. I think often of what Luke would say, Mary took these things and pondered them in her heart. I'm sure she was doing that about this too. What does this mean? It means that the Magi understood that Jesus was not just a descendant of David, a man who was destined to be the next ruler and king of Israel, but that he was God. They bowed down and worshiped the God child. The two-year-old who was king and who was in this lowly estate. You see, what's so interesting about this this story, this narrative, is that the, the Magi, they went to the king's palace first because they probably figured that if there was a new king of the Jews that this would be the the most logical place to check for him, that he would be the place where King Herod is ruling and reigning from. And so they go to the palace of King Herod because they figured if a king of the Jews is being born, if he was destined to be born, if he was prophesied to be born, that this is where he would be. But they discovered that no, this king was not born in a palace. This king was born in Bethlehem. Living in a very simple house. Very simple means. And there he was, the king of the Jews. Probably had some dirt on his feet. crawling in the streets of Bethlehem. You have to have a vision of the reality of the Son of God and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, in order to bow down and worship a toddler in Bethlehem, to see him for who he is, to give him gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. They understood that this was going to be a notable person from Bethlehem, written on the Wikipedia page. They understood that this was going to be the most notable person from Bethlehem because he was the king. Not just the Jews. Because their presence there, their bowing down and worshiping of him is a foreshadowing of the fact that Christ has come not just for the Jews, but for the nations, the Gentiles. And there, in that contrast of these great and robed magi who have gold and frankincense and myrrh to give, to this new king of the Jews where the star has come and pointed them to the very location and place where this prophesied king is to be. There they are. And all of their splendor and glory. Bowing down and worshiping a toddler. 
the God-child. The one who is destined to be king of all. And the one who's not ashamed to take on flesh and blood and live and dwell among us and be called our brother and to call us brother, sister. To be at the head of the table, but to not be ashamed to invite us to be seated at the table at his side. Praise him, for he is our king. Praise him for his lowly estate. Praise him, for he is our brother. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a king in Jesus Christ, and we thank you that we have a brother, that we have someone who has experienced life as a human being on this broken, sinful, and cursed world, but unlike us, has not sinned. And we thank you, Lord, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, but also that he comes in this lowly state that encourages us to not be afraid to approach him, but to come to him always and with everything that we have, whatever is on our hearts and our minds, knowing that our Savior is not above us, is not too good for us, that he is our king, but he is also our brother, part of our family, part of the family of God we've been adopted into. So we pray, Lord, that we would worship Christ because he is almighty and we would worship Christ because he is lowly. Pray that we would praise him for he is our king and we would praise him for he is our brother. We would praise him for he came, he lived, he died, he rose again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.